at the end of the day, communicating your message and doing it in a way that is unique is the ultimate hack. And as culture changes and as technology changes, we're gonna have to find ways to do that because everyone's seen it all before. Like I've said, most music school websites look pretty much the same. People aren't really doing things that are unique and the ones that do something unique usually enjoy greater rewards or easier enrollment or better retention, um, that sort of thing. So if we go through a period where we have some hard times, um, if there is a, a period of economic upheaval right now, to the degree that one is being creative in their messaging or doing unique things, you probably don't have that much to worry about. Are you a music school owner looking to scale your program from just a handful of teachers to a highly profitable, well-organized and mission-driven company? Well, I'm Nate Shaw, co-founder of the Brooklyn Music Factory. And I'm Daniel Patterson, founder of Grow Your Music Studio. And we're here to help you discover a proven pathway to sustainable growth in your music school. So get ready to take your passion for music education and scale it to a seven-figure music school. Hey, Nate. So we were having a conversation and you told me an interesting story about uh, some folks that you were hanging out with recently and a topic that has come up uh, with some clients of mine over the last couple of weeks. And that is the topic of kind of the current economic situation, the milieu we find ourselves in. And I'm wondering if you could lead this episode off by telling me a little bit more about that, because I purposefully didn't ask you for details so that I could ask you here. Mm, nice. Yeah, well, we were up in uh, Maine, northern Maine, where where my wife and I live for a few months a year. And we were up visiting, opening up our house, and we were uh, in a small little store. It's a tiny little town, small store. I know the owners. They're, 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 they actually live right around the corner from us. Uh, and... I overheard them talking about inflation, talking about the cost of cereal, talking about how things were getting more and more expensive and that how his suppliers were actually saying, you know, he should stock up on cereal now because it may not be around during the summer months, which is, of course, the busy time for them. So get it all now at the well, while the price is right. And I thought to myself, like, huh, now, is this, what is this, you know, this is he's listening to a supplier and and this their supplier is getting their information where like what do people actually understand about this inflation cuz obviously right now at the time mm. we're recording this it's a hot button topic and people are and, and you yeah. sort of feel like it's one of those topics where you're supposed to have something to say about it um and the reality mm -hmm. is, is that for most of us uh, certainly in America we have not been thinking about inflation for uh, really honestly, for decades, you know, it's true. Um, so, so I actually walked out of the store having gotten my uh, what did I get? I got some bacon and a couple of other things. I left to get on the boat to go to our the you know the island where we live, this tiny little fishing island. And I thought to myself, like, huh, is are they actually being reactionary to this topic, or mm -hmm. has he done his research? You know, so I was just curious. And so uh, I, that's my story. I think it's really important as music school owners that we put a topic like inflation in perspective and then be sure to apply some, some, some lessons learned to our studio and be sure that we're being proactive and not reactive to whatever the latest hot topic is. Yes. Yeah. So 
you know, my thought in, in hearing that is I kind of did a little straw poll of folks who um, Grow is connected to different clients, that sort of thing. And it, it is a thought that's on people's mind. It is a thought where uh, people are kind of quite wary of the topic. Like, should I be concerned about this? Some people have a lot more anxiety about this than others. And um, I just wanted to maybe start this out by examining, you know, why is this happening? And it basically comes down to uh, some actions that are happening uh, that have happened kind of in the political environment, which I really don't want to get into. But a big part of it is something that um, uh, that all of us in the uh, in the music school industry uh, were thankful for a couple of years ago, which was the uh, PPP loans that came out. It kind of flooded the market with money. Um, businesses had cash that they could then spend. Um, and what, what that has done in the past two years then has resulted in, um, uh, with more money being in the economy, it's kind of resulted in, in, in this inflationary thing, along with some other things that have happened recently that have caused shortages in our supply chain. Bottom line, um, we're not going to get into all the technical reasons as to why that's the case, but it is a real concern. And as you mentioned, Nate, I want to kind of bounce it back over to you. Um, you said something that's really, I think, important. You said, let's be proactive and not reactive. And you said, um, you know, let the numbers tell you what your next action should be. Maybe give me an idea. What numbers should we be looking at to know uh, what the next action should be? Let's just start there. Okay. Yeah, it's a really important question. And, and I'm going to share, what we're going to do is we're going to look at our own numbers as music school owners or studio owners. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to look at what's called the consumer price index. So the consumer price index in brief is just, this is a, you know, you can just Google this. You'll, you'll, you'll get to the, um, you know, you'll get to the government site and the average price data in US dollars of everything from like a pound of bananas to you know, um, electricity per kilowatt hour. So um, basically, we want to look at when, I'm going to talk about Brooklyn Music Factory. We founded in 2009-ish, nine, yeah. And so we've been around for 12 plus years. Um, so we can look at our pricing, for example, the cost of a lesson over those 12 years, mm. look at the gross revenue numbers. We can look at the, cost of, and this is the important link to the consumer price index, we can look, for example, which I'm going to do right now, at the cost of a utility, like electricity. What have we mm. been spending on utilities over the history of this you know, small business, Brooklyn Music Factory? And how has the cost of electricity changed historically over the since BMF started? So for example, um, and this is just simple research. Anybody can do it right now. Um, if I click on cost per, you know, uh, the electricity cost right now, it's at about $3 and 88, uh, sorry, let me go here. Excuse me. It's at about 15 cents, uh, per kilowatt hour, which is only, let's see, back when we started Brooklyn music factory, it was at 13 cents, right? So has it changed radically? Hmm. It has not changed radically. And so what I would suggest people do when I say be proactive and start with the data, start by looking at your own numbers. Just literally yeah. go back into your QuickBooks or whatever you look at and say, huh, what did I spend on utilities five years ago? Or however yes. you, you know, old or young your business is. Now, 
Let me do a little Google search. What did electricity cost five years ago and what does it cost now? Mm -hmm. You can then simply do that with another line on your budget that is big. Utilities is, a, is an important line for us. We watch that. You mm. can do it with something like, um, you, you know, your marketing spend. Yes. Like, what does it cost to pay for digital now versus then? You've probably been tracking that if you've been doing um, that type of funnel work seriously. Um, so anyways, bringing it back to my initial story, one of the things I looked up, Daniel, was the price for a gallon of milk. Okay. I was like, huh. So here's a guy, my, my neighbor who owns this little store who's obviously moving a lot of milk. You know, right. <laughs> so I was like, what did it cost? What does a gallon of milk cost today versus say when BMF started 10, 10, 12 years ago? The price for a gallon of milk right now is at about $3.88. Back in 2008, in 28, it was $3.96. So it's mm. actually gone down. So that's not to say that inflation isn't a real thing for certain um, products, materials, that kind of thing. But you want to apply your own important numbers as a school owner to the, to the story of inflation. What is it yes. actually going to impact? So I'll stop there, but those are some concrete examples. I want to talk about another index. Yeah, what do you got? Following on, because you're giving some very rational advice there. Mm -hmm. There is something called, and I, I might be mistitling it, but there's something called the Consumer Fear Index. Mm, yeah. Um, or it's like price sentiment. I think it's changed names. Anyway, my point is, is that simply by bringing it up over and over and over and over in the news, people will begin to believe something to be true. Even if when you do the rational analysis, you find like, oh, electricity hasn't gone up by this amount. It's actually been fairly stable for the past almost 15 years now for BMF. But if everyone believes it to be true, it then becomes kind of this mass psychosis, you know, this delusion that people have. And that can then begin to affect the people that would potentially join your school. And they might say, you know what, maybe we shouldn't do it this year because things are so bad right now. When in reality, yeah, maybe gas has gone up at the pump. Don't want to undersell that. But it might not be, quote unquote, as bad as it really is. And so that really becomes putting your ear to the ground, listening to what your team and your school is saying. And maybe the proper response would just be to put messages out there that are positive, that kind of ground people a little bit more of a reality. Um, and then just being uh, sensitive to your marketing metrics and uh, seeing if you notice a difference for the same amount of marketing or outreach that you've been doing in the past. Because if your numbers don't change all that much, then maybe it isn't as bad as we think it might be. Let me, let me highlight one thing you, or just add to that, Daniel, that it is important, like you're making a really valuable point around the fact that people have a recency bias. Right now, people are concerned yes. about it. We are in a disposable income industry, right? People don't yeah. sign up for they're, they're always going to buy food before they pay for a piano lesson, right? That's mm -hmm. just, yes, that's just fact. And so, if you do look in the last twelve months, yes, actually, the price of food has increased on average about eight percent. So that is significant versus the average of around three percent normally, right? So people mm -hmm. are going to have that bias. Um, however, we don't want to. Um, go into a sort of panic as school owners. Um, we don't want to actually work from a space of fear, I think, which is a really important point you're making. And so um, just to add to that, um, you do you talk about this often, and, I, and I've taken it to heart at, at Brooklyn Music Factory, which is 
spend more time talking to your customers than it is, you know, being alone and 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 trying to make assumptions around what your customers are thinking. Yeah. You know, one of the things you shared with me before we recorded was a lot of the feedback we were getting or just comments we were getting from listeners. And they were saying, actually, you know, the way our school is, um, um, you know, priced, et cetera, we're actually in the higher end of the market. And that part of the demographic feels things like a a price index shift less. So I'm not so concerned about it. So that's some really good rational response from those school owners. Like, well... I'm not actually priced at the lower end. I'm not, I'm not sort of a bottom feeder of a music school taking anyone and everyone, right? They're right. in the mid to high. So you can ask yourself these questions. But I would 100% double down on your sentiment. Actually, would love to hear you talk more about it, Daniel, which is this notion of like doing outreach to your customers, sharing a positive message, but also wondering what concerns, if any, they actually have. Any thoughts on yeah. that? Well, the thought, uh, a couple of thoughts come to mind. And I read an article recently that said that um, people aren't necessarily, um, people aren't necessarily reacting to inflation, but more reacting to the thought of it. And they're using inflation as an excuse to quit things that they were going to quit anyway. It's just upping their timeline. And so this could actually be a point where you'll see people leave the school and they might cite the economy or things of that nature. Uh, but in reality, they were on their way out already. And that this was just the this was just the convenient excuse that came up for them. I would take those folks, I would take the opportunity to talk to those folks on their way out and not, not take them at face value. Not just imagine that, oh, well, it was the economy, that's why they quit. Dig deeper, do the hard work of having the conversation and and maybe say something to the effect of, okay, you know, no inflation's a little bit higher. That's kind of what you're citing or, you know, that sort of thing. Um, is there anything else? And really kind of put the screws on them, so to speak, hear them, be empathetic, be gentle, obviously, but see what uh, what the second, third and fourth reason were for their leaving as well. Because they'll tell you if you if you take the time to ask and take the time to have the conversation, so much can be learned because of this. Yeah, it it may be, it could potentially be a tougher environment out there economically right now. And there might be someone who lost a job, like as as you know, we all experienced two years ago with kind of the upheaval of that economic situation. Um, but don't just take the easy answer. Uh, if you if you care enough to dig deeper. And to listen, you will just get some real gold from people at this time. You know what, Daniel? It reminds me of the old, he's just not into it anymore comment, yeah. which is why they're leaving. That's never the reason. Mm-hmm. You know, you, and, uh, do, do you have any, like, you're really good at this. Any, like, what's a concrete question that's the next question they can ask after, you know, uh, it's just, it's been hard lately. So, well, but, but it's nothing you did. We love it. We'll be back. What's the next question you might ask to try to open the doors a little bit? Okay. I don't know about you, but I didn't get an owner's manual when I started my music school. And I wasted a lot of time on trial and error and making things up as I went along. But you don't have to do that. Nate and I are building a library of resources and tools exclusively for fans of this podcast. Go to growyourmusicstudio.com slash 7FMS 
and sign up to receive podcast updates, free resources, and even submit questions for us to answer on the podcast. That's growyourmusicstudio.com slash 7FMS. And we look forward to answering your questions. In almost every case, my response is dictated or at least influenced by what they said. So if I were to, if someone were to actually say what you just said, my next question would be, oh, interesting. What, what's been so hard about it for him? Because you actually use that word when you, when, you, when you said that. And I actually have heard that excuse. Oh, it's just gotten harder. And so I'll say, well, what's been harder? And then a lot of times the next, whatever they say next is actually pretty lame because they're using symbolic language. Oh, it's gotten harder. They're actually using that to symbolize all the experiences they've had with their child over the last six months as it's, quote, gotten harder. And maybe the tide has shifted a little bit where they went from, you know, level 2A in favor, and now they're in 2B and 3A, where you have a lot more syncopation. Uh, there's a lot more scale work. Uh, they're starting to use uh, 1, 4, and 5, 7 chords, et cetera, et cetera. And so the music isn't coming as easily to the child as it used to. That's what they mean when they say hard. But I know that's what's going on. I want to hear what their experience was, and I want to be listening to their exact language questioning on the language and really pushing and finding out what specifically have you observed? Because if I can know the specific thing that's happened, I can then begin to do two things. One, address it in the product itself. And two, address it in my internal communication to parents. I got so much mileage out of taking exact language that people used when they were, uh, um, I hate using this word, but complaining or, or, I hate to use the word complaining. Really, they're just reporting what their experience has been. Um, when they've been reporting to me what their experience has been, I've got a lot of mileage out of taking that language and then being able to set parents up and say, hey, in the next six months, you know, he's entering 2B right now or she's entering 2B right now. You might notice this in the next six months. Here's what you can do to counteract that. And again, just by listening, I can set the expectation. So when it happens, it's not a nasty surprise for the parent. It's, oh, he told me this would happen. Okay, well, he also told me to do this next as well. And again, the ideas that I might give them as to how they should respond to it probably came because I would think to myself, okay, this is what the parent experienced. This is what their, um, yeah, this is what the parent experienced. This is what they did. If I were in their position, this is what I would have had them do and start reverse engineering. How can we just head this off at the pass? Okay, so I'm bringing it full back to the topic at hand. <laughs> and I'm going to just frame what you just said because you're really turning what is a, a point of concern and fear for a lot of our listeners into a real opportunity. So what I hear is there's this thing out there called inflation. We as school owners are concerned about it. What I hear you saying is get out in front of it and actually just have conversations. Like for example, at BMF right now, we're in our re-enrollment season. We're literally having those conversations with our, you know, our 300 private lesson students and saying, Here's your slot for the fall. Will you be back? This is an opportunity to get out in front. And what you're saying is if for some reason they say, well, we're not so sure there's this, you know, uh, we might have to tighten the belts a little bit. That get, You're saying that's now an opportunity for a deep conversation around the experience that their family has had with the lessons at your school. And you might actually come out with some really great language to help enroll new families or retain those uh, students, et cetera. 
um, you brought up another. So that's all. That's awesome, dude. It's just an opportunity now to actually even improve on our messaging and the language we use with current and future um, customers. Now, you brought up something though that you that you quickly said. You know, well, remember we have to have a lot of empathy. We have to actually be open to listening, right? Which is, and you said early on, like a couple of years ago, everybody had empathy because the situation was so radical um, when the pandemic hit. And one of the things we did at BMF, and this is a great opportunity, is we said, huh, how can we actually help? If they say times are tough right now, and this, this happened at BMF a number of times where people lost jobs. We said, oh, you lost a job. You know what? Would it help if we gave you half off your lessons for six months until, until you know, your partner uh, got a new job and then we'll revisit it. We did that a number of times. And basically it was a break even for us. It was a pro- We got to keep this family in there. It was an opportunity to benefit them in mm. where they really wanted to stay, but they were in a, in a difficult situation. So I would just say, take this also, uh, this other opportunity, which is if this family is being very genuine in their financial situation and they are now in dire straits, but they really want to stay in the community, maybe you have an opportunity there to help them. I promise you that they will never forget. Absolutely. Ended that. Um, so I just wanted to make the empathy point that you just build on that. And that goes back to something you said earlier, which is you'll know how you can do that and not uh, put the school at risk right. if you're familiar with your numbers. Because you say, hey, you know, I can probably do this for about this many people, but past that, it would actually, the school won't be around in two years if we if we do this right. past this number. But it goes back to something you said earlier, and I'd like you to elaborate very quickly on this. Maybe you can just give a bullet point list. You mentioned um, items on the list uh, uh, that you should look at in terms of expenses. You mentioned electricity. Yes. You mentioned a marketing budget. Could you give me a few more categories that people could look at? Yeah. I mean, I, I literally, in, in preparation for this, I went to our profit mm-hmm. statement and I was just like, huh, let me look at trends since 2016. I would look at things like teaching supplies, uh, maybe equipment costs, these things that are, that, that they're not going to be huge line items in your budget, but you're looking to mm-hmm. see how much they fluctuated over time. And then you're looking to see, have they really changed radically over the last 12 months? Yeah. Um, so the move then is to just look at expenses and then and then look at the trend of expenses. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. if one of your suppliers or one of the software products you use raises its cost, it, that will show up on your expense report and you will see, oh, expenses have increased about this much over the last year. That would be a good point if you were going to raise rates. And this is how I think I kind of want to wrap up my last thoughts on this mm-hmm. topic. If you were going to raise rates, you could look at the actual cost of the school and know what it will take. And, you know, this, this period won't be here forever. We're trying to make an episode here that is valuable in future years. This, this won't be here forever, but this is just a good financial tool to use as you evaluate for your school for the coming year. What should our cost be? What is a sensible price that we should be at? Would be to evaluate those expenses over a period of time and just look at the percentage whether that's labor, a software product, utilities, marketing costs, all that sort of thing. That's kind of what I'm picking up from what you said there. Yeah, and I'll, let me give you a hyper-specific on software because we track that. Um, 
we just tracked sales and marketing selling expenses and baked in there as software. And to be specific, like, so it hovers around 1.5 to 2% of our budget. So that means mm-hmm. like of every dollar, two cents of that goes to marketing and selling expenses. In there, about one, maybe, you know, point half a cent goes to, of every dollar goes to that software, right? Like our CRM and all those things. Now, what you want to do is you want to say, look at the percentages, not the total dollar amounts. Because in 2016, we only made X amount, but in, in 2022, we're making significantly more. So you're looking at the percentages, right? Now, um, we did a great episode, episode nine, on when yes. to raise prices. Exactly. Raise rates, right? And a lot of those, uh, a lot of what we covered in episode nine, just to absolutely go bookmark that sucker and listen to it. Mm-hmm. But I want to just, I want to, I want to kind of wrap by saying lessons we can learn, which is really how I kind of frame this, Daniel, whenever we're presented with an opportunity like inflation, we're like, wait. What are the lessons I can learn that I will then apply year after year to my school based on this current economic client, right? A climate, rather. Um, every year, you want to look at your rates and say, well, I'm going to increase by 3 to 5% no matter what. Sure. Because that's basically matching the rough increase in uh, inflation. Lost over time. Yeah, yeah, lost over time. And by the way, when you raise your rates, you should expect to increase the wage to your teachers. Why? Because their cost of living is going up too, just like your cost of doing business is going up, right? Mm-hmm. You need to pass on some of those increased rates to your most important uh, investment, which is, are your people, your teachers and staff, right? Okay. Yes. So, however, let me just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave one other real committed action that people can take away and do. So I'm literally going through this right now, and I'm going to finish this over the next two days at Brooklyn Music Factory. I've taken my prices from last year. I'm creating a, a new price document for, you know, the price per lesson, price per classes for the fall and spring of next year, right? I'm increasing all the prices by 5% automatically. Mm-hmm. And the next step, here's the step I want everyone to take, is I want you to go find five competitors within your market and I want you to do a quick price analysis of them. We talk about this in episode nine in more detail, but just take a look and be like, where are they pricing their lessons? How far off is my price per lesson for next fall from their current price per lesson? Mm-hmm. And then just ask yourself, you can work just from intuition right here. Is this too far off? Am I too far under or too far over? Or am I right within sort of a range that feels comfortable to me? Yeah. Okay, so that's the next step on pricing. So, you know, I, I, maybe a closing thought for me just on this, Daniel, is, is that um, we never want to work from a place of fear when we're strategizing 100%. the future. Yep. We do not want to work from fear. We want to look at a um, what others would call a challenge. We want to look at that challenge and say, huh, What's the learning opportunity for me now as a small business owner that I can apply year after year after year to the future? So if the only thing you walk away from this episode with is, I'm going to figure out how much I paid on electricity over the last five years, then that's a massive win for you. 
because your, yes. your financial fluency has just improved. You've just leveled up a bit and now you'll be less afraid to go dig into your QuickBooks and find out the trends for expenses in other categories. So that's all I have to say on this. Um, Daniel, what do you got to close out? I have a story I think to close out and it's this. I began teaching in the fall, uh, the winter of 2004. Um, so November of 2004 was when I started teaching my first student. And uh, those first couple of years, I was learning a lot. And I got to 2007 and 2008. And I don't know if anyone here is a history buff, but there was a big market crash in that year. And much has been said about it. Steve Carell made a movie about it um, or was in a movie about it, The Big Short. And uh, I was reading news a lot at that time. Um, this was before I came to the realization that uh, this wasn't good for my mental health. And um, I remember thinking, am I even going to be able to do this? People are going to, lessons are the first thing they're going to throw out. And I, and I literally like remember thinking like, I'm going to have to find a different job. What am I going to do? And as it turns out, I don't think I lost a single student, but I had all this fear around it. I learned something there. Not just that I didn't need to read the news. <laughs> Here are two lessons I think that one can take away um, from that story and something you could take to heart to go along with the advice I think both Nate and I are giving here, which is reaction. Uh, the reaction, like, do I need to raise rates? Maybe not, may, might not be the move. You might not need it. Um, and there's some other you know nuggets we've dropped here throughout the episode. But overall, I think there are two very deep principles, foundations, whatever you want to call them, that, that can be applied. And that is, at the end of the day, communicating your message and doing it in a way that is unique is the ultimate hack. And as culture changes and as technology changes, we're going to have to find ways to do that because everyone's seen it all before. Like I've said, most music school websites look pretty much the same. People aren't really doing things that are unique. And the ones that do something unique usually enjoy greater rewards or easier enrollment or better retention, um, that sort of thing. So if we go through a period where we have some hard times, um, if there is a, a period of economic upheaval right now, to the degree that one is being creative in their messaging or doing unique things, you probably don't have that much to worry about, to be honest. If you're doing good work, Product is the ultimate marketing. And the second thing is the underrated hack for most music schools is the zip code you choose to put that school. Um, and as I saw in pulling a lot of different people, uh, the folks that don't seem to be affected all that much by the current milieu are the ones that are in the quote unquote correct zip codes, the correct demographics, the correct uh, you know, socioeconomic um, bracket. That isn't to say that music is only for a certain um, class, but we know who our customers are. And to the degree that we are aware of that fact and we position ourselves in such a way that we can reach those people, um, folks that don't cut lessons from their budget at the first sign of trouble, um, as long as we're aware of who our best customers are, both internally and externally, we will thrive. And I think that was kind of what happened because even though I was still early in my journey when 2008 happened, um, there, you know, people didn't leave. And the reason they didn't leave was they weren't really experiencing economic hardship and they were enjoying the lessons and they, and they had strong affinity and loyalty to the school. So 
that could be a little bit of a hard thing. I know we talked about empathy earlier in the episode. That could be a little bit of a harder thing to say, but it is the truth. And I think as we align ourselves with those two truths and do the work to explore how that works out in our own business and careers and the choices we make, I think that um, we will experience a result that's in line with those truths. Hey, it's Nate again. You know, every year at Brooklyn Music Factory, we get dozens and dozens of great reviews from our families. And you want to know how? Because we ask them. And they're happy to leave a review because of the positive impact that we've made on them. And so now I have a simple ask for you. If this podcast, the 7FMS podcast, was helpful to you, would you mind leaving a review for Daniel and I? And please... Share the podcast with another music school owner that you think might benefit. It's one of the best ways that you can support us. We appreciate it.